Maybe. Maybe hey, buddy. Not. Hey, how are you, man? No, we're in. I. Yeah, we're good, live. man. I see us. We're live. Just rocking the free world, man. Awesome. So uh, we have a special guest coming to join us today. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, the stripper will be knocking at your door any minute. Woo! Um, uh, we have Andrew Thurman, a reporter, journalist from Coindesk, uh, whom I consider to be uh, the best uh, reporter writer in crypto. Uh, everything I've seen from him is fantastic. Well, that's good. What time is he coming on? 12.15. All right. So you want me to go through some news real quick? Real quick. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, I'll try to... to figure out why the fuck I can't get a decent stream going with my camera. Oh, well. It's all that Mac gear you got going on over there. <laughs> Here we go again with the fucking... <laughs> um, hey, I thought some, some, a couple of good things today um, as we're sort of... I saw a little bump um, on... Uh, you know, look, ETH's been doing... Well, this is the ETH BUSD. <clears throat> this one real quick. Um, you know, we're getting some action... Got a lot of support down here, um, you know, protecting this range. It's not fully loaded yet. When that loads in, you'll see it. Um, so that that's looking pretty good to me. We've got that little run going. Um, SEC approved uh, first national blockchain-powered Boston Security Token Exchange. So at least they're approving stuff. I, I've never heard of this, but um, uh, I guess it's uh, Boston Options Exchange and T0 have regulatory approval to operate a board utilizing blockchain tech for settlements and market data. Um, and then interesting, nice. India, India edging toward crypto legalization with a 30% tax announces digital rupee. I saw launches. that. What the hell? So that's after all the stuff we've back and forth with them over the last three or four years. Oh my God. And then you see all oh this God. innovation going. They, they finally are, are getting on the right track here. Um, so Russia, you know, India, and China. Yeah, or all go, well, you know, they're trying to get out from under the dollar is probably yeah. their rationale. Well, I tell you, uh, Putin's buddies probably um, would prefer prefer uh, Bitcoin as legal tender if uh, Biden slapped san sanctions on them personally. So uh, the, they'll probably yeah. go back hard into crypto now. Yeah, they're going to have to get that money out of wherever it is. Um, but yeah, interesting you know, I don't know where they put it. Uh, what is it? Cyprus is their big destination. London, of course, you know, which I always yeah. talk about. We're the biggest offshore banking center in the world, but London's way up there. Yeah. Um, I also saw some interesting stuff. The Bitfinex hack from 2016, uh, three and a half billion of Bitcoin from that hack has started to move. They're trying to get it cashed out, but all the wallets are blacklisted. Yeah. So everybody's on this and, but they've able to cash out a little bit, it was saying. Um, you know, with that level of money, it's hard to just throw it into a tumbler and you know, move on to the next thing. But, you know, that's that's happening. And then I started going back to some of our liquidity pools real quick because um, I haven't been farming lately. But um, in this type of market, I, th I think it's a, it's a good play um, for what you like. And the one that strikes me at the top is BCT Klima. It's a pool with the um, carbon credits. Paired with Klima, getting you 191%. But there's a lot of stuff in here. I saw um, like a Avalanche and ETH for 27%, USDC and the basic carbon credit for 
some good stuff there. So that's on Sushi Swap Polygon that I'm looking at. Um, I saw that. Um, no, this isn't the right one. And then on Quick Swap, I did the same thing. I looked what's going on here. Um, you know, high APYs, uh, but I don't really play in any of these uh, areas, these tokens. But if any of that strikes your fancy um, or fits with your strategies, there's some pretty decent yield going on there. And then I was over at our other friends at, at Crystal and looked at a few things. Um, they don't have a lot of TVL anymore, but they do have some decent yields. Um, you know, TVL is down around a million. So I'd say take a look at that page. And then I went to Comet Swap and I saw something that really I did like a lot. Um, Omatic ETH pool <clears throat> generating 117% return. Um, you know, only 37,000 in it, but, you know, I've been doing stuff with Cometh for over a year. So I'm comfortable with them, even though they focus on the game. Um, sure. I, they're very credible, um, had no issues with them. So, you know, take a look at some of these. We got some better yields here. You know, their token is must. But so you see it paired with some like that Matic Must 97. I mean, I always just dump that token. But Matic and ETH or WEATH here, uh, that is an interesting one to me. So because we're all sitting on Matic and we're all, well, I don't have any ETH left. I, I have some crumbs, but I sold most of it in the fours. Um, right. And then DFYN, I back in my ecosystem pools. I mean, I don't have any of this Shibu stuff, but some people might. That's 106. The Matrix, which I was in that one for a long time. Is it 226? Um, there was one up here that looked interesting. Where was it? Um, maybe it was in another pool. But take a look on this one, too. There, there's some good stuff in the 200s on different different token stack, a few others. So there's the yield out there. Um, sure. So whenever you feel like we're crabbing sideways or doing anything like that, go ahead and um, go to all these and, and see if you have anything you can park. I mean, I sort of forgot I still have some matrix swaps, so... I am probably going to park that back in here with some DFYN um, just because why not? So um, that's it for me right now. Hey, do me a favor while you have your screen open, load up uh, gains.trade. G-A-I-N-S. Uh-huh. So okay. this is a uh, leveraged trading platform. I interviewed the founder of this project yesterday um you see that 3.8 billion in volume yep um the entire platform was developed by one man the founder and he built the community he manages the community it's all him all the time but here's the thing about this thing it's awesome it's on polygon so it's blazing fast relative mm -hmm. to like if he was on mainnet when they first launched they were on mainnet Polygon is funding, uh, um, I think it's $150,000 or $250,000 trading competition. Um, it's leveraged, but um, none of the normal uh, controls or rules that uh, govern you on normal leverage trading, nor um, none of the um, fees for funding uh, in this protocol. Um, he has a really cool, unique... Uh, vault model that he uses for um, managing everything um, automated. And the system currently allows, oh, he pulls prices. He uses Chainlink, but he also has backup for pulling prices from seven centralized exchanges. So if there's ever a spike 
um, a WIC on a particular exchange, the system automatically overrides the WICs so people don't get uh, liquidated. Um, just powerful system. Um, all of the trades are synthetic. So, you know, there's no tokens to hold on to, whatever. Um, it's all based on DAI. So you deposit DAI and uh, you win. The There are three models for staking. So um, there's staking in their vault, which earns part of the fees. There's staking in um, for liquidity. And then there's um, staking for... Um, yeah, there's another model of staking because they have an NFT that allows users to um, easily um, gain other levels and, and features and functions within the system if they own the NFT. So overall, just um, a really powerful platform. He's going to be adding um, synthetic stocks. Mm. So... Within Wait, is one... this the same one? Is this the same guy that you gave me that no. list yesterday? No, that, that was Spirit. That was Spirit. That was Spirit. Right. Um, the, the beauty of this will be is that you'll be able to now leverage trade um, using DAI across all things, commodities, stocks, uh, tokens, what have you. Just really powerful system, really great guy. Um 3.8 billion in, in trading volume, 160 million a day, basically. Low fees, lower than most of it. Don't charge funding fees. Really, really impressed with this platform. I really am going to give it a shot. And uh, Joe, on that other project we've been talking about, uh, looks like yeah. this could be a nice part of it. So, yeah, it's going to be huge. Okay, yeah. So, so what limit or select an NFT? So I guess you could you stake NFTs here or something? No. So they have NFTs for the platform that give you oh. extra levels and access to the system. He has a new version coming out in two to three weeks that puts, um, he currently has limits on trade sizes. Uh, it'll remove limits on trade sizes. So um, he, I mean, he currently has millions of dollars trading per trade at times with some of the traders that are in this platform. So great community, um, you know, overall just, just uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with this platform and with his roadmap and what he's trying to do. So uh, really, yeah. really love what's happening there. Love this platform. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, the other thing about it is, is um, he has the ability to um, uh, he has the ability to um, allow you to connect bots to it. So our mean reversion bot at material indicators can connect to the system, send the signals and click on an alert on the trades. And then once he has stocks, all of the kind of limitations that I've had previously with stock trading relative to alerts from TradingView, um, those go away. So really cool stuff. If anybody wants to try it out, um, we have a affiliate link. So we get a cut of the fees you pay. Let me get that posted up, Joe. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll post our affiliate link. Yeah, interesting too. I'm noticing that you can get you know, I was just trying to move some dye this morning. Um, and, you know, you can get in the dye vault there, you're getting 20% on it, which is pretty good. Yeah. For a stable, stable coin fault. And on the liquidity pool between the GNS and dye, you're getting 57%. And there is a, it is deflationary because look. Yeah. He burns um, tokens. Yeah. He burned, it looks like this is 20, 30, 30, oh, 38. Yeah. He burned like 500 and Eighty-three thousand-ish yeah. um, tokens in the last month, 
So is he doing that to offset emissions or what is he paying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, his entire goal is he wants this to be highly deflationary. And he, he runs through all of the opportunities in the platform for earning revenue, but there are a lot. Um, it's a revenue oriented platform, um, you know, responsible emissions, et cetera, et cetera. So just, just uh, I'm really impressed with it. When the episode gets up in the next couple of days, um, everybody should really take a look. In the meantime, if you go to try it out, please use our affiliate link, which I will post here and in the show notes. But first I have to get my computer to actually fucking respond to me. So. Anyway, great platform. Yeah, looks like we have our cool, looks like our guest is here, Joe. All right, buddy. Let me dump the screen. Oh, hey. I see him. Andrew. Let me get meet Adam. I got it. I think. Actually, go ahead. I'm my computer's just not responding. Hey, Andrew. Hello, hello. What is good, gentlemen? How are just you, living man? Living the dream, buddy. Living the dream. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm of course, I'm having of course I'm having video issues today, Andrew. So I, I will be flushing in and out uh, from a video perspective. But thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It's awesome to have you here. Uh, I highly respect all the work you do. It is so rare to have like someone who acts like a real journalist in crypto. And I know that's not true. And you probably have lots of amazing uh, peers at. But uh, I just uh, thoroughly impressed with the way you write and the way you research and all of that good stuff. No, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Uh, it's uh, given the amount of power it's quickly accumulating. I think it's kind of underserved from a journalistic standpoint. So yeah, uh, How, very there. how'd you, uh, how'd you end up here? Oh man. Long story. Uh, I started a, um, smart contract data marketplace startup in uh, late 2018 um, wow. that went on to become the Oracle network uh, API three. Um, sure. Sure. I, I, I did not join them on that journey though. Probably left a, a you know, 30 to $50 million on the table and not sticking <laughs> with them. Uh, instead, went to go, <laughs> yeah, instead went to go work at Chainlink um, and did some business development for them uh, during that uh, really remarkable bear market period. Uh, I jokingly say it's the most successful business development campaign of all time. Uh, we we managed to keep uh, uh, the token doing okay and got a lot of partners on board um, during crypto winter. And then uh, at the end of that, sort of uh, got involved in crypto journalism right at the start of DeFi summer. Um, I, I, you know, I remember, I think I did a piece on um, the year, a couple of urine Dow, early, really formative urine Dow votes um, and have been uh, in journalism ever since. Wow. Okay. So, did you have a background that you had always wanted to be a writer? And how oh, the hell well, is th as as a writer certainly? But uh, my credentials for having gotten into uh, crypto make it's absolutely nothing. I you know I stocked a lot of shelves, so you know now I'm a crypto journalist. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, do you miss out uh, the chaos of? Uh, working directly in projects or are you kind of having fun doing this? I mean, occasionally um, I'm, I'm sort of, I think one of the reasons why I've built a good bit of trust with a lot of the major DeFi founders um, is that I've, I've sort of been in the room on a founder's worst day before I've, uh, uh, I've seen a lot of sausages get made. Um, and uh, 
the the money was certainly better. Uh, the stress was not. It's it's not an industry that sleeps. You know, uh, right. the, the the founders just you you guys can't imagine what some of their schedules are are like. It's 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 unreal. Um, yeah. uh, uh, like even though uh, uh, crypto journalism very much a full time job. Uh, compared to actually working in the industry, I might as well be retired. It's it's like it's it's a totally different world. Hmm. I don't know. Did we lose Brad? Is he coming there? back? Hold on. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, we've we've been in, inside on a few projects too, and um, you know, writing business plans, not articles. We do a lot of research, and mm -hmm. you know, and then we have a background in the past during dot com days, and 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 after that, and oh, you're sure. right, it is twenty four seven. I mean, it's definitely a young person's game. Uh, to put in that time, because I find myself, you know, being um, a tad bit older that, um, you know, I just have to take breaks every now and then. Now it's, it's, yeah. it's sad, but, you know, you just can't crank it out like you used to. Um, but you can do enough and then you got the experience on your side so you can kind of add the wisdom when you need to. But it's so much fun because the younger crew coming up that's been native on smartphones um, is just coming out with mind blowing stuff that we never would even have thought of. Yeah. Unreal. And so that's what I find this kind of, uh, fusion between like, um, you know, kind of, uh, new, new ideas, new concepts versus, you know, people who have executed in the past is a nice blend. Um, but mm -hmm. you gotta have the young guys in there running those, the, the founder show because it's exhausting. Yeah. So. Like when I was I was covering, it was the uh, Rari Capital uh, <laughs> tribe merger, um, and those guys—they're just—they're running ch children's sweatshops. These like <laughs> uh, developers, you know, transmissions, just universally lauded as this incredibly helpful and uh, uh, you know contributes on code reviews all over the place. In addition to just a nonstop GitHub commit machine, like how. I'm I'm in my early 30s and I don't feel like I can keep up with <laughs> with that anymore. Like I'm I'm already over the hill. You know, it's all over. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. They always go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. It's just incredible um, how much they are cranking out. Obviously, youth helps with that, but the level of trust that they've developed in the community is absolutely amazing. And I, I mean, look, it's, you know, the whole meritocracy thing, they are killing it because they're producing uh, awesome protocols that people want to use. Right. And it's just, I, I mean, there has never existed before a world where hundreds of millions of billions of dollars would be handed over to uh, 17, Little 18 children. and 19 year olds. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely incredible. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, what, uh, I mean, in in your role, I'm just kind of curious what it's like being a journalist in crypto. Is this is this a is this a gig where you're assigned stories by an editor, or is this a gig where you're pitching stories, or they just kind of come and you just run with them? Um, I have a excellent editor, uh, Zach nice. Stewart, um, and uh, I mean the way it works is we have a morning meeting. Well, I'll usually tell him what I'm trying to do that day. Um, but you know, I might swoop in with 1500 words at any moment on any topic and he, you know, helps me, uh, put it out there, but, um, there really isn't, uh, particularly in DeFi in other beats, it's, it's a little different. You know, we've got, um, a fabulous, uh, Bitcoin mining reporter who we poached from Bloomberg. We've got nice. a fabulous, um, VC deals reporter who we also poached from Bloomberg. Mm. Um, we've got a, a fat, like there's, there's lots of beats. The regulatory reporter we have is the best in the industry. He's probably going to win a Pulitzer one day, Nick day. 
Um, wow. you know, th there are beats where you know that a story is coming because you have uh, the inside sources, because um, a PR firm's pitched you, because you know uh, uh, there's a hearing on the calendar. Um, but in DeFi, it's much more phonetic. I, uh, the DeFi developers, not a lot of them work with PR firms. And so <laughs> a lot of the stories just come from me lurking in governance forums. Nice. They come from, you know, um, I, I see it happening on Twitter. And honestly, like if we're the Twitter is a better news source for a lot of DeFi <laughs> stuff than many entire publications. It's just incredible. So much faster. And the yeah. quality of the analysis that you're going to get there is yeah. really strong. like my biggest competitor isn't one of these other outlets. It's, it's just Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and what's interesting, I mean, the biggest problem with Twitter is synthesizing it, right? I mean, lists are my friend, but um, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, in going in and out of this wonderland story uh, last week and this weekend, I, you know, I spent, an inordinate amount of time in discords and um, you know, the forums and um, popping around. And at one point I just stopped and said, Holy crap, Brad, this is just nuts. You know, you're, 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 you're getting sucked into this thing, but it's so fascinating too. Right. I mean, the emotions um, that are occurring with all of this before we get into that. Um, I, I'm just curious. I mean, the old joke is that um Good crypto journalists are good crypto journalists for about three months, and then they get hired away because right. uh, everybody's desperate for great writers and people that know the industry and have connections. Is that like a constant? I don't. I hopefully your editor's not watching. Is that like a constant uh, battle for you? Like no, I I turn down offers from funds like once a month. I turn nice. down offers from other publications weekly. Um, I, in my view right now, uh, you know, I joked about being partly retired before that's kind of true. I, I very much approach the job as a public service that's and, awesome. um, you know, I, I think it's where I can do the most good for this emerging technological vertical that I believe in. Nice. Um, and if I were to step away, it would probably be because, you know, I wanted to take some time to write a book or, yeah. um, I was sufficiently compelled the, the, the most compelling offer I got was from a fund who wanted me to run their um, other governance tokens. The idea. Oh, wow. Of, yeah. Having a big pot of governance tokens and being able to help control the development of the ecosystem with that. That was the, the only one so far that's really made me sit up and think, is this is this the place where I can be doing more good? Yeah, because you would have a direct impact on the on a lot of projects in the ecosystem. That's a really smart offer of them. I mean, yeah. really smart, right? Because they know you can analyze. They know you know the communities and the and the and the founders of these projects. Yeah, uh, that's brilliant. That's really good. And, and they, if, did, they still like, didn't I'm, get you. I'm not as ambitious as I used to be when I was younger. I'm just tired and old now. But. <laughs> If, Welcome if to the club. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if you're not 18, you're done for in this industry, right? Yeah, yeah. But if if DeFi does what I think a lot of us think it's going to, um, then that's you know having a big pot of tokens in what could be a worldwide public good, or and a a lot of them. There's if you're an ambitious young person, go find a way to get some some governance tokens. That's yeah. I yeah. think that's. You, you, you have a chance to have a, a seat at the table at what are going to be some tremendously important conversations in the future. 
Yeah. And before we get, well, I got one more kind of angle here, and that is, is um, you know, you hear a lot of discussion about kind of uh, the decentralization of media. There's like Balaji who ab advocates for every corporation or project, have your own media, screw the press, blah, blah, blah. And then there's um, uh, organizations like Coindesk that seem to be thriving and, and doing well and hiring quality, qualified people to write as real journalists, right? And so I'm wondering if, uh, because you have so much insights into this industry, and it's one of the things we've actually had discussions with other people, not real journalists, but other people like us that are producing media, do you envision that at some point there is a DAO structure around um, media and that this becomes a more decentralized play? Or do you really think, and one of the arguments I've had with Balaji, and he always moves me into direct messages because he doesn't want me to do it on public. Is, right. is, might be, that's too dangerous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is I'm a big advocate for kind of journalistic integrity and journalistic ethics. And I think they're critical. And I also think that journalists need resources and editors and people to help them. And while I think there's some amazing independent reporters and journalists out there, I think there's a an ethic that comes with a, a, a company setting those standards. So it's difficult for me because I, on one hand, can see the value of decentralizing it. On the other hand, I can't. So I was just kind of curious yeah, as you're living this every day, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean the the quality, and it's happened. Uh, it's it's kind of increased the past two or three months, right? The the quality of independent research and writing, and you know, general crypto media coming out is just skyrocketed. There's so yeah. much good stuff out there now. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the thing is, though, it's very insular. When you look at you know something like Bankless, their uh, subscription numbers are truly impressive. You know, those right. guys, uh, Ryan and and David, they're making what twenty million dollars a year just off of the subscriptions, right? Exactly. It's it's absurd. Uh, but the what happens when you you know do focused media like that and media that I think has a um, a, a, a too obviously favorable bias um, <laughs> lose the ability to reach out and touch the world. One yeah. of the nice things at CoinDesk is if I say something smart and uh, insightful, that might get picked up by the New York Times. You know, yeah. I can get a hundred thousand reads on a weekend. That's right. not something you can do at some of these more cloistered outlets. Right. Um, you can definitely make a ton more money. Uh, you can you can really own the uh, own the thing. And there's a couple interesting funding models. I don't think anybody's figured it out properly. What I think it'll look like if you wanted to do a media DAO, get a lot of people to invest in like a yield vault. And the 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 interest from the vault pays the reporters and editors, and somehow you make it all blind, where you don't know where the income's coming from. There's got to be a way to set up a reliable income stream for reporters and editors and an outlet where they don't know who the owner is because the right. owner could be a ton of money. And right. so we need more privacy DeFi, and that's hypothetically coming this year. And we need um, enough people willing to invest in it. Um, uh, I think one of the ones, Idea Markets, is really interesting. Disclosure, I'm hypothetically an advisor. Um, uh, I, I just haven't been doing much advising lately. But I think their model is interesting. There's there's a couple of people trying this. But I think at the moment, um, you know, Coin's Desk's model is working because our, our bias, we say it on the outset, we think crypto is the future of money. Um, we're not necessarily raw-rawing it. It's just a kind of technological inevitability. 
Yeah. And that's that's what our bias is. Um, and we we go out, like you say, and we get good reporters, you know, former Wall Street Journal, former Time magazine, former um, lots of former Bloomberg these days because um, we pay better and we know our stuff more. Um, uh, and and because of that structure, because we have, you know, tried and true methods whose only problem over the past century has been funding. Um, we can reach out and give people a much larger platform and really influence the national discourse and yeah. not sort of, we're not talking crypto to crypto people. We're, we're becoming a crypto news outlet that the average reader reads. That's, and that's great. That's fantastic. Finding a, funding model, finding a funding model that allows a DAO or one of these crypto native upstarts to do that with that'll rely on, you know, making it clear at the outset what the bias is and why for the yep. publication overall and um, a sustainable funding model, which I don't think anybody's like 100% cracked that nut yet. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think about it, but for now I'm happy at Coindesk just because it's the biggest platform I can get. Nice. That's fantastic. It's funny. A friend of a friend got a gig. I don't know if it was Coindesk or another outlet. And I believe he was previously a Bloomberg reporter Yeah, and he left very shortly and went back to Bloomberg. And I thought, and I, I, my buddy told me that. And I was like, dude, that's just probably the stupidest thing I've heard all week. <laughs> it's yeah. like the opportunities are just incredible. How, how does, how do you do that? Is it, I love that you say you set your bias out out front. Is there ever a time when you're writing about um, negative things that happen in the space where, where you kind of cringe that you, you really don't want the whole world to know? how bad sometimes things are in, in DeFi, but you kind of say, well, this is how we fix it. Right. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that a balancing act for you mentally or do you just kind of go screw it? I'm writing what it is. No, I, I, I think of myself as a steward of the technology to the extent that I want to keep its nose clean. I, I this isn't a baby you need to coddle. This is, this is a large mature thing that is often unwieldy. And if anything needs to be called to account yeah. um this that like i don't try and hide the bad stuff we need to publicize it but do it in the right way you know yeah. uh, uh, a scam does not mean the whole thing is scams That's um, right. and there's there's a way to call these things out and you know call a spade a spade um and and frankly industry needs more of that uh you you you, you don't want to um you know be scared about uh, you know, a reader is going to come away thinking the whole thing's a scam because there was one thing a scam. That's going to happen anyway. The mainstream sure. media is doing plenty of that. Like there's yeah. there's no way with some kind of biased reporting I could undo, um, you <laughs> what know, they're going to say, yeah, the massive yeah. amount of of misinformation out there about yeah. these technologies. Um, and if anything, I think it reinforces that we're trustworthy when you do call these things out for what they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, if, um, just real quick, we were talking about this yesterday, how, you know, if you look at the headlines in the media right now, everything is like Bitcoin off 60%, you know, crash, crater, all of it, just like it's doom and gloom. And we were chatting, like, if you bought Bitcoin a year ago, you're up 92%. If you yeah. bought Bitcoin in July timeframe, you're up like 33, 35% this year. So it seems like, you know, like you said, the misinformation starts piling on to, um, uh, create market movement. And, you know, and I noticed because everybody I know is in crypto 
But then when I walk outside and go talk to someone, everybody's like, what? You know, and I realize <laughs> we are in all these little bubbles Yeah. Um, that, you know, in our world, it's everybody. Uh, but we're like 0.001% of the world, it seems like, um, yeah. because most people don't get it at all still, um, which is, you know, what, you know, all of us have to do, you know, more you than us, of course, but to educate the market and the mainstream people on, you know, where these problems are and how you look to make sure you're not getting into a bad problem situation. Um, because, of course, now everybody goes, oh, yeah, all these DeFi plays, of course, you know, why would anybody do it in a group where they don't know who it is? You know, yeah. it's it's all of that kind of stuff. And and they don't even think about why or how or the tech or why you don't need the people. Yeah. Um, so it's an exciting time. But, yeah, you're right. We do need to crack more to the normies so they get what we're doing um, or what's happening so they can take advantage of it, too. I mean, again, I my view is that this stuff is it's obvious. It's an inevitability. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, a great essay, uh, uh, Ulibis, Time and Distance Overcome. Um, it's uh, really about um, uh, uh, the history of how telephone poles were used in the Jim Crow era South for lynchings, but it wow. includes a lot of very, very good research on how um, people, people believe that telephones were a doomed invention because of telephone poles. Of what use is such an invention? Wrote the New York Times, um, and and how you know oh uh, when whenever the telephone company came to town and they put up these big ugly poles, there were these riots. People would refuse to let the poles come through. It's destroying the natural beauty of the pristine landscape, and all of the reporting. This this it's doomed to fail because of the poles. The poles are this insurmountable thing, and now if you look out your window, where's it's nothing but telephone poles, and they're ubiquitous in the landscape. And I think in much a similar way, um, it used to be that reporters would, uh, uh, you know, in in trying to play act a kind of journalistic neutrality, they would always, you know, conclude with um, experts say that uh, this will never work because the gas fees are too high, because there's too many scams, because w whatever reason, right? Um, what's increasingly happening, though, is that I think there's a, a growing and and very vocal faction of reporters who have given up on the idea of neutrality and are now staking their personal and professional lives on simply trying to tarnish, you know, uh, uh, crypto generally. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's a growing number of them. You know, this this used to be a kind of unconscious bias where the reporter would enact, you know, what they thought their readers wanted to hear about what they personally thought were these really risky technologies. And they are, but, you know, it, it led to this kind of, like, mainstream media has been wrong about this stuff for a decade, and they're going to be wrong for two decades more before they just get it. And there's probably going to be no reflection on how they were wrong about it, right? Everybody who was wrong about the telephone poll, nobody nobody remembers them. Um, but I, 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 I do wonder, you know, how much louder, uh, you know, the Luke Plunkett's of the world will get. You know, some of the guys over at Vice, some of the guys at the New Republic, these um, writers who who are now, you know, their their bias is clear. They're not uh, 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 sort of unconsciously enacting this. Uh, 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 they're not being wrong <laughs> out of trying to be neutral. Now they're just actively saying this is bad and they're making an ideological war. I think that's going to be the trend to watch and that's going to be the sort of narrative to track over the next half decade or so. How long can they sort of fight against what what's the the inevitability of this thing. Yeah, attacking it. And and it's funny because I think that um 
I, I think that a lot of them are going to turn around um, in years and see outlets like Coindesk and others surpassing them in the financial markets because that'll be the core of the system, right? So I think that there's, or, you know, Coindesk gets acquired by Bloomberg or whatever, but I think there's incredible opportunities here in, on the media side of it. Um, in, we have surpassed a lot of them. There was that's month, awesome. Yeah, where we had more traffic. Uh, we had almost as much traffic as Bloomberg, and we've already surpassed, you know, Motherboard and New Republic by many months. Nice. We're, nice. We're wow. one of the top 50 uh, financial websites in the world. Love you know, our, our traffic is, there. there's a reason why people are starting to treat us as competitors. <laughs> you nice. Know? Love it. We're, we're, we're trying to become the Bloomberg of crypto, which means that we're eventually going to become the next Bloomberg. We're not I love it. Yeah. to be acquired. We're going to beat them on a long enough time horizon as long as we continue covering the future of money better than they do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's, you're already ahead in that game. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. All right. So accountability, um, you, uh, we, we, I will tell you, we've been beating uh, Wonderland, uh, the story up uh, pretty hard since last uh, Wednesday. And that's because I have an extreme personal bias and everyone that listens to this now or listens to it on the podcast, uh, because I have had some money in Wonderland. Um, but um, RIP. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's really... What would be really interesting to me is um, I you just did a, a tweet thread um, kind of summarizing the pieces of it, but I'd love to get kind of your summary and perspective and and where your head is with what you think, well, as much as you're comfortable yeah. talking about, about what you think really uh, happened there, right? So I, I have theories that I think that there was an overwhelming, you know, kind of emotional response to a lot of this that uh, caused... Um, some bad actions, but I also kind of wonder about what was going on behind the scenes, but could you kind of give us your summary and thoughts on the whole Wonderland experience? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I had never really covered um, any of the Frog Nation stuff very closely till last week. Um, I I got involved. Um, I was going to cover, uh, there was a proposal for Abracadabra before the majority of all this drama went down. There was a proposal for Abracadabra to acquire um, Wonderland's treasury. And right. I had an interview with um, Danielle Sestigali about this. Um, and it was uh, what's becoming a kind of classic form, the uh, Dow on Dow acquisition piece. Sure. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I covered this with XDI and Gnosis. I covered this with uh, Faye and Rari. And we were seeing some very similar things. Um, one of the assets community was uncomfortable with the idea because they didn't think the exchange token exchange rate was going to be particularly fair. Um, one of the assets was highly distressed. The other one was making a ton of money. There was some clear power imbalance, and that's the kind of stuff that I've investigated before. Um, and the only real wrinkle was that it was this kind of, you know, maybe there was a little bit of self-dealing going on. Right. Um, and I wasn't very familiar with all of frog nation i only knew um danielle by reputation and so i didn't necessarily even give much credence to the the sort of rumors of corruption going on i didn't look as deeply as i maybe should have literally the next day um <laughs> <laughs> no this we're not even to the to the michael patron stuff yet literally the next day, um time falls 40 percent in a 24-hour period massive liquid liquidation huge liquidation cascade um danielle personally loses 18 million 
Uh, and this is because somebody forgot to top off the treasury buyback bot, or at least that's yeah. the excuse. That's the line, yeah. Incredible mismanagement. And his phone was on travel mode. Exactly. And um, <laughs> so having talked to Danielle for the first time ever the day prior, uh, suddenly I'm on the phone with him again. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, we talk, I, I do a little bit more research on the guy. Um, uh, uh, you know, he's he's saying all this stuff about how he's going to bail out the community. Uh, I'm, I've covered, um, you know, how DAOs handle compensation plans after attack hack attacks and what he was talking about in terms of personally um, refunding liquidators, not using the time treasury out of his own funds, uh, people who were liquidated more accurately, that seemed very much in line with that. So was covering that. And there were a couple bizarre details, Um, you know, after he found out about the liquidation cascade, um, he went on a fishing trip with a prominent, uh, another prominent uh, crypto founder. You know, he wakes up, realizes that one of his three, you know, sort of primary projects is in shambles and that he's lost $18 million. And, you know, he decides to keep this appointment that, you know, admittedly he made months before, but that's kind of an insane decision. Right. Exactly. And so I was getting ready to publish the next day this, what was going to be, I thought, a a pretty wild story. Um, (laughs) And it hadn't even started. (laughs) That was going to be the the preface (laughs) and then project um, crash go fishing yeah yeah and and then and then and and like i yeah and then this michael patron stuff comes out um and that you know so heading into that interview it felt like anything i was living in bizarre world that's that's one of the craziest stories at least in the last few years and maybe in crypto history I like agree. that, that story is crazier than Mt. Gox. Yeah. The, the co-founder of Quadriga CS, <laughs> Canadian exchange famously defrauded people out of somewhere between 130 and $190 million. Whose, whose co-founder died under mysterious circumstances in India. Yes. That Quadriga CX, that guy resurfaces as the treasurer for hundreds of millions of dollars at one point, billions of dollar treasury. Uh, and he's managing it. That's, that's, and the founder knew for a month. Yeah, uh, at least uh, he told me two weeks. Um, but oh, okay. he's put he himself there, so who knows? Um, it's it's insane. It's and so I went into that piece. You know, I had to ask questions like, you know, is is Merlin the tether CEO? You know, is he John Carlo <laughs> Devasini? You know, is are, are you an intelligence asset? Like th- there was just all of. Anything seemed on the table. At that right. Point. And so just, you know, you, uh, you saw my piece on that one. I, yeah. I just asked the most basic questions that I could think of and attempted to give the background information, backstory and verify what I could. Um, and now, you know, with this follow-up piece I did today, um, like the story just keeps getting crazier, right? There was the vote to remove um, Michael Patron, this Quadriga founder. That passed 90 to 10, which to right. me was insane. Like what 10% of people voted, voted not to. to. <laughs> That's nuts. Uh, even crazier though. Was well, there's still that- people screaming in Discord that they want him back. Like, you know, and look, admittedly, the Treasury did well while he's, he was He's starting it. to rah-rah on Twitter too. I think, yeah. um, you know, when, when the vote passed today, 
uh, yesterday, more accurately, um, to not wind down the treasury, to not have this rage quit function where anyone could redeem their time tokens for a proportional share of the treasury. I think people were caught really off guard by that. I saw a couple mainstream um, media articles that kind of got it wrong because, hey, it's okay. Um, because they didn't understand uh, like how this could happen. Why would token holders vote seemingly against their interests? But uh, uh, and overwhelmingly, seemingly against their interest. It passed yeah. with a 55 to 45 token weighted margin, but by the numbers uh, uh, of the 22,000, uh, I'm sorry, avalanche addresses that participated in that vote, which makes it, I, I'm pretty sure, the most active governance vote in DeFi history, by the way. Right. Um, of the 22,000 people who voted, um, more than 15,000 of them voted to keep the project going. That is an insane number. Yep. And when you look in the Discord, you know, I tried to find out why. Um, the answer is twofold. One is that um, people feel trapped, that, you know, they invested in time where the token price was many multiples higher than the current value of the treasury. So if they do take this rage quit function and get, you know, some of the treasury, they're, um, they're booking a major, major loss. The other one, though, is that Danielle is one of the most charismatic guys in crypto. He's yeah. built this frog nation. This is real. It's it's a populist movement similar to whatever the hell collective insanity, you know, fueled the GameStop mania. Yeah. Like people people still believe in Danny's vision. Yeah. This in spite of the fact that he knowingly continued to collaborate with a known felon. Yes. I think it, to to us to any rational human that's an insane choice to make. Yep. But well, still, I, the I, overwhelming majority of people went with it. Well, here's I will that tell you, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. I will tell you, there are a segment of us. So I advocated, I actually personally advocated for voting no, but I didn't advocate for voting no to keep the project going. I advocated for voting no because I felt like everything was being rushed into, and that there was an opportunity, and and that he had left this arb opportunity open to people that would dilute. Yeah the returns to people that were holding. So my advocacy was not, hey, let's keep having Danny run our money because this is insane. My advocacy was, let's just put a chill on this because this the emotional reactions to everything that's happened are not smart. And he actually said that in Discord. He said, I made a mistake. I reacted too fast, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, you did. You're, you're talking about $700 million of money and you're immediately putting up a, a vote to shut the whole thing down and do buybacks. I actually want a buyback. I just want this to be thought through reasonably and and not rush into it, right? There's zero reason to rush this process. The money's there, you know? So, but you're right. It is, when I go in that Discord and see the number of people still worshiping Danny and even Sifu, right? And it is... People advocating to put Sifu back in charge of the treasury. Like, I'm like, what planet <laughs> does that make any sense on? Right. I just, I, I don't, I can't fathom it, but you know, yeah. we've, we've I, I mean, it. I think that one of, one of the things I see in DeFi founders a lot is when you've, you've reached a certain level of power, like these guys, they've, they've done things. They've, they've manipulated reality using financial tools and, and sums of money that, I think the average human has a very difficult time fathoming. Um, 
And and when talking to Danny, he he was like distraught about the Sifu thing to the extent that, you know, he didn't know this guy as Michael Patron. He knew this guy as somebody who he had worked with, as an Anon right. who he had gone through difficult circumstances with. And so in his mind, in this, like, I think he means well. I think his judgment is very clouded. Um, and and his his justification for some of this stuff, you know, it makes sense from a really hardline DeFi perspective. You know, anyone can participate. That's the point. Right. And and I think if um, if Patron had merely, you know, if, if his criminal record had stopped at, uh, you know, credit card scamming as a teenager, <laughs> there's a lot of DeFi people who would actually probably be like, and that's what came out that, you know, this is a convicted right. felon still, but he's not the guy who ran the Quadriga scam. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people who would be like, fuck it. This is, this is our ideology. This is what we're all about. Right. 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 But the, having the Quadriga guy in yes. charge of the treasury. Yes. That's the thing that even like the crunchiest, most diehard DeFi person, you just can't justify no. that. No, no, no. And, you can't. and I think that, you know, the even like the most devout Frog Nation fanboy is still struggling with that a little bit. Yeah. That's what a community, we now know that's not going away anytime soon. The, right. the project somehow, despite itself, despite this, just to call it a lapse of judgment is, is the, that's the understatement of the goddamn millennia. You know, this, this is, it's potentially criminal to, to know this and continue working with this guy. Yeah, it is. Like, it that is. opens you up to liabilities. The lawsuits, the regulatory, uh, everything is just a nightmare. Yeah, that's that's my piece tomorrow because I'm interviewing nice. multiple people every day these days, but I'm talking to a bunch of lawyers. What's the case going to be? What's it going to look like? Because now now that you know the community voted and from a numbers perspective, overwhelmingly voted to, uh, well, a number of individuals' perspective voted overwhelmingly to keep this thing going, um, what happens next? I think that Frog Nation is going to have a tough time finding utility. You know, of course, there was a proposal two weeks ago from Abracadabra. They were going to work with bribe protocol to um, try and bribe their way onto Ave as collateral. They were going to pay five million dollars to try and get on that platform to get MIM, the stablecoin, onto that platform. Right. That's going to fail now. No, it's not going to happen. Anytime they have to go to any kind of mature DeFi platform governance to get integrated, that's not going to happen. No. Nobody, no, and that might not come back ever. So right. they're only going to be able to build their own self-contained ecosystem, and they're only going to be able to integrate with truly permissionless, fully decentralized lending platforms. And there are a couple. They're, sure. they're going to be able to get on Euler Finance. They're going to be able to get on um, SushiSwap's Kashi. There's a few more coming out on Avalanche and other side chains, I'm sure. So there are places where they can get that utility and they can build their own. The guy is a prolific, you know, uh, builder and forker in his own right. Let's not forget that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And they have 15,000 people who believed enough in this. <laughs> thing to vote, I think against any rational interests. And yeah, so I think I think they'll isn't going away. And the only thing that will make them go away is regulatory action. I agree. And so I'm trying to figure out what's that going to look like? What's that going to mean for the rest of DeFi? Because mm -hmm. this is everybody I've talked to so far says this is a layup. You know, this is a known bad actor. It's in the public eye. Um, the the social consensus will agree with us. And how can we use this case to potentially leverage it 
and go after any other treasury management via multisig. Sure. That's that's the next step here. Um, how long it'll take is the only question in my mind. And yeah, Danny's I, not worried about that, which is also mind-boggling. Yeah. Is that um, all of DeFi is like this, he argues. And that's well, not true. That's, you know, that's not a defense. Yeah, well, also no, yeah. he did it. He did it. <laughs> I, I I think that he's he's incredibly charismatic, an unbelievably talented community builder, and a little bit out of touch with how big this got, how quickly it got so big, and really the fallout that this is going to have for everybody else. Yeah, and and it is. It's going to have a negative impact, and it will give. You're right. It'll give regulators. A, you know, a bone to chew and an example to set, right? It it will be a huge impact on it. Now, you look, I think, I think at the end of the day, the, the where he's going to go with this is he's going to, there'll be a buyout and the true believers will hang around and 40 to 50% of the folks will take the buyout and get out with their money like I will. Um, but um, it, it's, it's amazing his, um, charisma, his ability to rally people who are down 90% and basically lied to um, throughout this entire process. And even after that, the vote is happening and he announces in the middle of the vote when it's closer yeah. to 55, 45, but, or 50, Regardless 50, of the outcome of the vote, he's going this is to, what we're going to do. decide to wind it down because it's <laughs> It's divided. Like everybody's, everybody's taking that um, I'm taking over the Dow message that he posted on Discord out of context. What he meant when he posted that was that, uh, um, you know, he's just he's not going to let the team manage it on a day to day basis anymore. He's taking over sort of operationally. Right. What mm. people read is I'm I'm becoming taking the, the money. And yeah. they're wrong because he always he always was the dictator. Exactly. <laughs> he always has. Reason, been. Yeah. The reason why they could move so fast and outstrip Olympus's treasury is because they they didn't bother, you know, it was always just a multi-sig and it was Danny and Sifu moving unilaterally. Right. Um, and that allowed them to move incredibly quickly and do, you know, interesting things like invest in startups. Olympus hasn't done quite as much of that, um, although they're starting to now, but they, they moved quickly. You know, I, I think DAOs have their own little trilemma, right? You can do complex things, you can do quick things, or you can be decentralized. You can only do yeah, two yeah. of those, right? Exactly. And they were on the com complex and quick uh, thing, not decentralized at all. Um, and and yeah, like <laughs> I'm becoming the leader of this DAO. He always was. <laughs> Nothing has changed, dude. You're just keeping the status quo. And, and it's like I think it works though for the believers because he really does care about them. He kind of loves them. Yeah. There's there's something strange yeah. parasocially happening there he genuinely has what he thinks to be their best interests at heart and he's working on that and and man i i i again i just don't think he maybe fully understands the a the liabilities he's putting himself into legally the the and the tremendous damage he's potentially doing to the whole space Right. He's doing damage. I mean, the damage to the other projects that he's involved with are already, it's going to, it's clear companies are, I mean, projects are pulling away from him, dumping it out, trying to get away from it. Um, and so that's going to have catastrophic impact for other investors. Right. And then, um, you know, you're right across the space. It's going to be something that, that people grab hold of and use as an example of how bad this all is. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the good news is 
you know, immediately after all this happens, you start seeing leaders of protocol saying, what are the things we can do to uh, fix these kinds of things from happening again? Like, how do we set standards within our, within our community to make things better? You know, Zeus is immediately on kind of cascading liquidations. Like, this is a concrete thing that we can think about and address. Um, yeah. So that's what I love about DeFi, right? Is that there's, there's no like, you know, two years of congressional investigations, committees deciding how best to handle things. This community just dives in and starts saying, what can we do better? So, yeah. um, and it is, that, it is that's awesome. remarkably resilient to the, to the extent that it's powerfully self-correcting. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, it is people, if, if you knew what you were talking about, you were already very suspicious of multi-six calling themselves DAOs. Um, yeah. But now I think, you know, it's going to be difficult to launch something and get popular interest and get a certain degree of traction if you continue to do that. That's this has ended that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if there is a silver lining to be found and that's a very weak one, you know, our, our self-regulation is going to get a little bit better. Like, good Lord, can we have that stable coin here and coming up on the eighth? We're, yeah. we're not. It, it, that's going to be. That's going to be tough. <laughs> like, the fact that we we collectively we allowed this to get this far in spite you know of the clear warning signs yeah the guy would spend hundreds of millions of dollars just swapping around on the treasury and brag about it on twitter um, <laughs> and the fact that he, he he attracted a devout investment community doing that um yeah it's it's maybe it's maybe the craziest crypto story of all time. Well, I tell you, when uh, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, when um, uh, Mim was actually brought up in a Senate hearing, yeah, I thought was just really odd. And there's been some speculation that regulators may already have been like looking to see if this was a target already, um, and that's why it was fed to be used as a as, as a talking point. I have no idea, but um, yeah. it certainly I mean, seems possible. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation, right? Um, you know, Mim was intimately tied with Terra via the Degen box kind of automated leverage strategy tool, right. um, that recursive farming thing. And we know that Terra is under investigation. Uh, and just the, stra the, the the rumors that have come out of this are wild. I, I, I need to have a longer talk with Danielle at some point once things quiet down a little bit, because there's there's... You know the Bitfinex ties. You know this is this is catnip for a certain kind of uh, 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 person who tries to read behind between the lines a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, trying to figure out because both Sifu and and Danny have talked about Bitfinex and, uh, and uh, 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 Quadriga in the past. There there we found messages and comments that have bubbled up. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, and, and I'm guess I'm going to spend the, the next month trying to untangle it all. That's, That's awesome. I'm so glad you're the guy. That's going to be fantastic, man. That's great. Hey, I, I think I just want to ask a couple of questions beyond um, time wonderland since you're out in the field, like we are gathering information and talking to people and seeing stuff, you know, once we clear through all of these fiascos, I mean, what do you, what, what are you seeing out in DeFi 3.0 or whatever we're going to call it next or anything exciting or new that really has caught your attention the last week or so beyond this? Um, I'm really excited about real world assets, how DeFi dollars mm -hmm. are affecting the real world. Uh, I think maker is probably furthest along with that. Not a lot of people know that, you know, 
die loans have been used to finance people building Wawa's and uh, nice. hardware stores in New Jersey. Um, oh, wow. awesome. There's a, a solar farm that somebody took a die loan with to, that they're building on East Long Island. Like that's that's happening, you know. Fantastic. And then you look at Centrifuge. Um, you look at um, what's the one Hummingbird? They're doing microloans. Um, yeah. There's there's a lot of that beginning to happen, and in my mind, you know, that's always where we were going. Um, and then you see, you know, a, a, a big bank like Silvergate, right? Yesterday they announced that they're buying the DM assets. They had previously tried to launch a stablecoin yep. with Facebook, and now they're they're going to keep that push uh, using um, all the stuff that uh, Facebook had built with DM. Um, they're going to wow. keep that going. And once you have this, you know, banking entity who's already providing payment rails for the Gemini's of the world, for you know these big, uh, big crypto corporations, suddenly, you know, using Ave interest on your debit card, that's not a half decade away; that's months away. You you start to see how fire blocks this institutional on ramp. Um, you know, maybe more people can start earning interest on uh, uh, the DeFi 1.0. That's what I think. Uh, I hate this DeFi 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Yeah, yeah. But if you put a gun to my head, what what are we going to call DeFi 3.0? It's actually probably going to be using 1.0 protocols in the real world and yeah. find ways to turn this stuff into real world value. Um, obviously, a lot of regulatory barriers, but people are working on them and chipping away at them. And um, that's that's where this stuff really, that's always what we've been trying to do. And like, mm -hmm. why are we getting distracted with these fucking money games? <laughs> like, yeah. let's, let's let's get a public good, uh, a, a protocol-based yeah. banking system into the hands of more people, a battle-tested one. You know, mm -hmm. somebody where you can earn orders of magnitude more interest on your deposits than you can with your traditional bank. Uh, right. And and a protocol can't redline you. A protocol can't give you you know predatory rates. A protocol, right. just so many of the problems in traditional banking are going to be solved by these tools. And so why the fuck aren't they out in the real world yet? Right. And and there are a lot of people who feel the same way and are working very hard to rectify that. Well, well it, it being the way it is, it neutralizes all of those, you know, you mentioned redlining. It, it, it neutralizes all the discrimination and both asset discrimination and, you know, others based on gender orientation or race, um, you know, and it makes it fast. I'm, I talk a lot about velocity of capital yeah. and accelerating turns and turns and turns. And, and this is exactly what we want is something where people who have an idea and have an ability to secure a loan can do it in 25, 30 seconds and use yeah. that money for something else. Um, that's to me, I mean, that's what the banks are mostly scared of. But then I, I always kind of go back to the analog of Wit Capital and Goldman Sachs, which I don't know if you remember I that. Don't know that yeah, it was like dot commy days, 99 or whatever. But with capital, it was some guys came out of a couple of the investment banks, started up uh, a play where you could get in on the IPO rounds as an individual. So they would buy allocation and then people would bid on it and get in there. And so Goldman put in a billion at one point once they saw this was working. And then they came in and bought it later because they wanted all the un those people in that space that are unbanked by, say, Goldman's wealth management groups. So whenever you get something proven, a tech like this, one of these groups is going to start figuring out how to use it on their platforms. User yeah. adoption is going to pick up and then there'll be independent players, you know, pure organic players. But then there'll be like traditional players that have some hybrid fusion of it and they'll start buying those plays probably downstream because there's a whole bunch of um, 
crypto people that aren't banked right now in those institutions yeah. and, and they want to get at them. So I didn't really, that was a very good um, uh, comment about, um, I mean, I just said DeFi 3.0 because I was just trying to say the next thing, right. but you really said it the right way. It's taking what's already been proven in 1.0 and then taking it to the normies and trade five markets. Right. I when mean, that's say, interesting. What's the next thing you often hear like options protocols or insurance insurance mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me, but options like why the next step isn't going to be financial engineering. It's just going to be using these tools for what we like, what they were mm -hmm. always to be and be used for. That exactly. just seems, that seems mm -hmm. obvious to me. Yeah. yeah and there's no, so many gateways out there um, to doing it. I even saw somebody just got a ton of funding from like the Robinhood CEO and some others for just providing 10% interest to consumers and they're going to stack it all into stablecoin yield earning 20%, right? So yeah. great business model. <laughs> you know, you guarantee consumers 10, you're taking 20 to 40. Well, uh, who knows, you know, uh, there was, um, what, what was the name of the, it was one of the Indian uh, lending services collapsed. I can't remember the name of it now. It was like two months before I got into crypto journalism, but you know, Celsius is starting to show some strain. I'm, I'm, yeah. I think the the way to do it is. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. It was smooth. It was soft. Mm -hmm. um, uh, these these sort of CDFI on ramps. You know, maybe the the first thing is going to be um, the average consumer who doesn't know how to download MetaMask is going to uh, access one of these um, Ave Arc pools, right? Um, right. I think what we're going to see are these little pockets of the battle-tested contracts put out in these very permissioned environments. Um, and DeFi is always, you know, the, the, the DeFi we know is always going to be a little bit crazier and more unregulated. But the, mm -hmm. the first on-ramps are probably going to be highly, highly permissioned. You know, if, if you squint through a lot of the regulatory stuff, there is a pathway now for... Um, they're, they're, they're putting the framework together where banks will be able to issue their own stable coins. Those mm -hmm. stable coins will be able to participate in highly permissioned and regulated pools with all kinds of KYC AML requirements. And that's going to be the first step, I think. Um, and, and to what degree those guardrails eventually come down or come off uh, remains to be seen. Of, um, hmm. of all the founders that you've uh, interacted with, who... I don't know how best to phrase this. Who are the guys that you think are, or women that you think that are, um, you know, really going to continue to drive us forward and kind of this responsible path and that you obviously feel like are innovating and in, inspirational in terms of what the mission is? Who do you like? I, I <laughs> love Kane and Stani and Robert. I think those, that early trifecta, um, yeah who, you know, really experimented with governance back when that was like, you know, MakerDAO was doing okay. Moloch DAO was distributing some money, but choosing and, you know, those were worth well into the nine figures when they said, we're going to hand over governance. Um, and they still controlled massive quantities of tokens. So to what degree they were truly decentralizing governance is very much uh, a kind of academic debate you can have. But choosing to make that step is was a real demonstration of, I think, you know, it, it's the kind of principled move that's in line with with the the what DeFi is supposed to be about that we haven't seen a lot in this bull cycle. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. people have been cutting corners 
in order to maximize for for certain things, mostly for profit. Um, and and you know, making those early decisions were good. So I always trust those guys. Um, and they're you know in many ways the ones leading the next charge. Uh, Kane just put out what five new protocols on optimism. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Robert and Stani are in a little bit of a foot race to see who's going to launch the first CD5 thing. So um, I think that even though uh, from a, uh, a governance token asset price perspective, we've kind of haven't heard from them in a while and they haven't been the most exciting thing. Um, my sense is that the next step is going to come again. I think DeFi 1.0 is going to be actually paradoxically the thing that uh, mm -hmm. uh, takes off from next. here. Yeah, the next most exciting stuff is going to be what we hear about, you know, those guys launching both in terms of their new products and in terms of how they're getting DeFi dollars into meat space. Well, and I think that makes um, complete sense. It's not th something I've thought about because you, you kind of get this sense of people looking down on the blue chips. But the fact is, is that those are the ones that will be attractive. The ones that have been tested, the ones that have been beat on. Um, those are the ones that will be most attractive to, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's my, also my other joke in this fucking mem fiasco, right. Uh, uh, uh maker walked so that mem could throw open the hell mouth of the bad. <laughs> <laughs> so and they could run off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize maker is tremendously profitable. Like yeah. they have revenues. You can, you can figure out the 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 PE for for that protocol, yeah. and it is very cheaply priced. And so we're we're out here, you know, um, uh, speculating on these things that are just pointing a fire hose of tokens at users when there's good proven protocols that are probably ready to be out in the real world. Yeah. Um, and and that's really easy to overlook because of price action. Uh, and I think you know. Midway through 2022, um, uh, uh, they're the ones we're going to be hearing about because they're the ones who've been doing the quiet, boring legwork of getting the legal infrastructure and, you know, the business development glad handing behind the scenes and like learning the executive over at JP Morgan's name, uh, you know, hearing about his <laughs> They're They're doing that stuff. Uh, nice. And that's going to pay off soon, I think. That's awesome. That's great. Andrew, thank you so much for spending so much time with us, man, giving us your insights. And thank you for being out there uh, doing the right thing on the journalism side. Really, I, 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 every time you pop up with another piece, I'm, I'm so excited to read it because I know it will be balanced, insightful. Um, you bring to the table knowledge of how things work, and that's critical. So just want you to know that I really appreciate uh, what you do. It's really my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, it was man. so Have nice to meet one. you. And, and thanks for all the fabulous information too. And for us and our community, look yeah. forward to speaking again real soon. All right. Yeah. Cheers guys. Have a good Take one. care, man. Thank bye -bye. you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You still there, buddy? I am. All right. So we still, oh, we're still live. All right. Yeah. I mean, let's just do a little, just a second on this. I mean, super bright guy, really connected into the space, big, big brain head on that shoulder, those shoulders. Um, definitely want to talk to him again. Absolutely. Now he's, um, he's connected. He understands it. He's mission driven. Um, it's so cool to see a, a publication like Coindesk that's, you know, advocates for them to be that way. Uh, and, um, you know, I just, uh, 
I, I just appreciate that. Oh, we had a bunch of comments in here, Joe. Yeah, I was I went full screen, so I couldn't see any of them. Um, uh, I am looking at MakerDAO right now. Um, Two billion market cap, sixteen billion value locked. Um, max supply of tokens is just over a million. There's a nine hundred and one million out right now. Um, trading at about twenty one eighty, you know, two thousand one hundred eighty seven dollars. But you know, again, my favorite indicator market cap to TVL ratio is zero point one two. Which is very, 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 very low. So he's he's yeah. spot on with these guys. Um, let me look at the chart real fast, the all time, because we've been it's been running a little bit since July. Well, there was it. Looks like in May of twenty one, it peaked at six thousand, and it's been up and down, and now it's just sitting at a nice kind of, you know, lower high kind of concept, I guess. Well, uh, when they imagine two. where that's going to be sitting when they announce, you know, yeah big integration. Yeah, no, that's He's exactly what on. I'm thinking. But you know, up 47% this year. So that's one. Let's start really <clears throat> paying attention to that more. Um, but yeah, great guy. Let's see. So what do we have here comments wise? Anything? Uh, Chuck saying this is a catalyst for more professional grade operations team on these projects in normal fintech investors look closely at the management teams. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, said hello. And hello, hey, back, man. thanks for joining us. Uh, he says there are several places this already happens, real estate, trade, finance, et cetera. The bridge between 1.X and OG finance. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, and I'm actually was loving hearing some of those comments there at the end, Joe, relevant to some stuff we're thinking about. So Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I was perfectly excited about that. Perfectly, uh, perfectly, perfectly said for that. So that's yeah. awesome. Um Cool. That's all I got today, buddy. Yeah, let's wrap it up. We ran over a little bit, but we were short yesterday, so yeah, yeah, we made up the time. But um, <laughs> hey, and hopefully I'll solve the... my camera issues by tomorrow. Yeah, we got to give the people what they want, right? That's right. That's right. All Thanks right, for man. listening, everybody. Love you guys. Appreciate it. Please uh, uh, like, follow, review. Um, tell your folks, your friends uh, about what we're doing here, and uh, we'll be in touch and see you tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks everyone. And uh, Brad, I'll talk to you later and we will see everyone tomorrow. Great, man. Take Ciao. care. Bye-bye.